Hi, everyone. Welcome to See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. Today's podcast, though, is just me thinking about something that I've been trying to figure out for the last few weeks. Um, and it's also been decades in the making. So I know that I could be doing a, a lot of research and exploration and conversation on this, um, but I want to get some thoughts out to you in a raw form and maybe get you thinking and then con- having a conversation back with me about this. So we, it is this today's conversation is about stories, storytelling, and parenting. And, and so it's not stories and storytelling just in the sense of fiction and engaging children in wonderful literature and books, but it's about using our stories and our narratives to define who we are as individuals, as a family, as a culture, and starting to shape those stories within young children at a very, very young age. Um, Of course, the article started um, in that Facebook conversation when we posted the article from NPR, And feel free to Google it because there's a lot being written and a lot of parents are experimenting with stories as a form of limit setting, behavior management, and parenting. So the article was how Inuit parents teach children to control anger. And of course, the basics are essential. Um, One is the Inuit parents never yell or scold their children. So there is no harsh reaction to get children to make better choices, better decisions, to become more socially and behaviorally appropriate in situations and in moments. It's about using stories and calm connection to teach children to interact with one another and with the world in constructive, safe, positive, culturally successful ways. And so I think we've all attempted to do that. Religions do that with Bible stories, with Torah stories, with holiday stories from Jonah and the whale to um, how to treat friends, welcome visitors. Uh, All of our, I think, religion culture engages in that. But so many of those stories have either been lost or um, feel a little bit more hollow these days so that, so that people have not been using those with the same conviction and heart. Um, and, and if the parents don't believe the stories or the parents don't feel the meaning of the stories that we're using, they won't work. So as we're reading all of this great information on NPR, in the New York Times, in cultural studies, I don't want you to be thinking that these are quick fix answers to parenting. It's not like, oh, look, um, I can stay calm, tell my child a story about a monster, and all will be well and easy. No, Um, unfortunately, parenting just doesn't work that way. So what we end up having to do is go deep within ourselves, deep within our hearts, and find stories, meanings, purpose, values that truly resonate with us. Also get a deep understanding of developmentally where children are and, and the archetypes of the stories at each developmental stage 
that that ring true to them that that create those developmental challenges and in my opinion the value of these narratives and the storytelling is that it is adult and child connecting in this deep and profound see me hear me love me experience where the parent understands the child's emotional struggles, social struggles, cognitive struggles, and finds a way to use play behavior, storytelling, um, as a way to connect, enrich, guide, and, and also create enormous safety and security and emotional comfort. So this is so big to me. It's everything that I love. And, and I also just want to make sure that parents aren't um, fooled or confused by, the, by, the, by what they're reading out there in popular media about other cultural experiences. So, so yes, we do have stories, whether they are stories from religion, but the old fairy tales, it has been said before they were Disney-fied, um, that those spoke to true developmental needs and issues in children's lives. The idea of jealousy, unfairness. You know, I think that somewhere in the last 10 or 20 years, people started looking at the literalness of stepmothers, and it was like, no, no, stepmothers aren't evil. When of course they aren't. And this isn't about divorced families or stepmothers or, or those things literally. They are about children feeling the unfairness of adults um, in a world where where criticism and judgment and scolding um, is felt by young people trying to act in the best ways they know how, the best self-regulation that they have in any given moment. Um, they might feel, I mean, anytime a child has been scolded and disciplined with negative reinforcement, taking something away, um, and of course, shame goes that same avenue, um, they're going to, to sit and think, oh, nobody understands me, they don't get me, um, I'm alone. And so fairy tales would get to the loneliness of an early childhood and early school age experience of being a child person in the world. And that was validating and liberating because there was a sense of I'm understood even if it wasn't done in a very um, literal way. Um, but, it, but fairy tales understood and, and held for children um, those dark emotions, strong emotions, uh, discomforting emotions of sadness, um, of fear, of anxiety. If we are truly living in this culture where anxiety is enormously present from everything that we're reading about preteens and teens and, and older young adults, not to mention parents with terrible anxiety, as, as the NPR article describes, we live in a world of, of enormous anger and disruption. Um, so we've lost a lot of the foundational things that can hold us as individuals, as families, and as a culture. So that's what I hope to help find or at least create space for parents to start reflecting on how to fill those needs for themselves and then for their children. So the question becomes, 
without um, a deep, firm, daily interaction with the stories of religion, with the stories of cultural bravery and courage and um, unconditional love on the other side of a struggle, of a challenge, of a disconnection, because that's really what happens to children learning and growing through big emotions is that they feel disconnected. And so we need stories that walk them through the disconnect, the fear, the uncertainty, the messiness of life, and bring them through to this beautiful, peaceful resolution, comfort, all is well with the world, even if it's only a story with a happy ending. And and yes, we got to be a very cynical culture at some point in time where we said, no, no, we don't want just those easy, happy, ha happily ever after endings. But for our young children, we, they do need to believe that all will be well, um, even though it doesn't always feel well every minute of every day of every week as we grow and learn. And, and think too, all of those times of disequilibrium in development. Um, you know, you know when sleep patterns are disrupted, when your child's behavior that used to be clear and manageable and understood goes wacky off the deep end, that's children growing and changing. Change brings disruption. Disruption brings uncertainty, disequilibrium, and so, we can't rush children through those stages. We can't rush a caterpillar to a butterfly, but we can stay there and say, I will create um, safe boundaries, safe limits, safe edges um, for you to bounce off of, for you to bounce back from, for me to catch you when things go crazy. So. What I, what I want you to think about, oh, let me go back to the Inuit story again, NPR, how Inuit parents teach their children to control anger. The big takeaways from that article are that children, that Inuit parents are not yelling or scolding, um, that those behaviors and responses to children misbehavior, even things that scare you like children running into the deep ends of an ocean or hitting or being aggressive, um, that if that if we're yelling, that a child cannot hear our message, that it's only creating hurt and anxiety and frustration in the grown-ups. And so we know that. We know that from all of the whole brain, whole body um, messaging that says we need to be calm so that we can teach calm. We need to be calm so our children can hear our messages. And it may not be in moments of conflict and struggle and challenge. It may be long after. So the best we need to do is help children manage downstairs brain by using our upstairs brain. Um, how do we get but both in our children and in ourselves, away from fight or flight responses in the world, which will always be high anxiety. And how do we help them move through that with self-regulation, with emotional intelligence, to be able to make better choices um, through trial and error, because there's still going to be mistakes, because um, it's only by experience and practice do we, own, do we really learn deep emotional intelligence? So no yelling, no scolding, stay calm. 
The other thing they do is that they use playfulness to teach a child, and then they use stories. And in the Inuit article, they use like a sea monster to help children not take um, dangerous risks at the side of the water. Um, and they say, oh, that monster lives in the water. They're going to come and take you, put you, in a, put you in their pouch, and take you to live with another family. Now, um, as a person in the world that we all share, I get a little, uh, 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 am I okay with that? Um, I, I am okay with there being monsters and unknowns and uncertainty depicted in stories. What I believe has to be the case because these articles and the cultural um, um, scientists are, are saying that the Inuit parents are the gentlest cultures, one of the gentlest cultures of the world. So we are not forcing children into compliant behavior because we are frightening them into living small. But I believe, I think this is the message of the article, is that we, are, we help children make good choices by making danger understandable to children's thinking through childhood stories and images. So um, at no time am I recommending that we use monsters to scare, inhibit, or limit children's choices, but we are using the stories as powerful ways to give them a sense of mastery and good choices in the world um, with us as their backup. So um, I do appreciate stories with monsters in the same way that I believe that a way to conquer fear is to find a way to find a way to be brave and respond to things that are scary or to things that scare our parents. So if I come to the edge of the water and I'm not scared, maybe the Inuit parents are trying to uh, create a healthy fear that says there is a danger here but the word danger and you know we walk around as westernized parents and grown-ups all the time going danger danger instead of saying no and do children really understand what that risk is in the same way that if we tell them a story oh be careful if you slip that monster will 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 um, take you deep 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 into the other side of the ocean and again, I don't know that those are stories that speak to me, um, but I also want to say we can't just steal cultural stories from other cultures. So I think we have to find a way to find stories that are that that resonate with us, that speak to us, and that don't feel like we're trying on somebody else's clunky shoes in order to do this. So um, I I want you to think about the stories for you and for your child that connect to their hearts, minds, and souls. And I do mean souls because, because this is a, a children coming into personhood. This is children coming into a sense of themselves and a sense of how they are connected to others. So I think um, maybe even Hansel and Gretel and Snow White and evil stepmothers, maybe those stories don't speak to your child or to you in the way that they did to past generations. But I think you, you want to look for stories about magic, about maybe about fairies and fairy dust and or angels. 
Um, I don't know what your stories are, but um, I think it's time for us to start looking for them. And so maybe that's what this podcast is about. Um, So I'm going to ask you to think about what stories you read at bedtime. What are the stories, you know, maybe there is a man in the moon. Maybe there is a moon shadow that follows your child uh, as the sun is setting or that is always there watching over your child. Um, what, What are the myths that we want to make our own or invent for ourselves. Personal myths, yes, but maybe also things that we begin to share. I mean, I think that um, in a very limited way, because I can't, I'm not prepared to go into a whole literature study for our children in this podcast, but I think children's literature is deep and profound. I think that where the wild things are does speak to loneliness, to a child who makes bad choices and chooses to go live with the wild things and then realizes that isn't going to be a happy place for very long, is welcomed back home. The boat brings him back home and his dinner's still hot. I think that that book has huge um, developmental and soul childhood archetypes in it. I even think that all the pigeon and the bus books um, are about children wanting more responsibility than they're care than they than they're capable of and we can laugh about those. I think good children's literature always um, answers the questions that children live with day in and day out. not the grown-up agenda of how to get children to be compliant, cooperative and 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 seen and not heard, but the children's um, behavioral struggles. How do I live in this world as I am? Um, I I just love these questions and that's why I think I love looking at young children interacting in, in our program at family time or in early childhood settings or in early elementary settings because you're watching them become problem-solving thinkers and answering the deep questions of the world. So what are your bedtime stories? And, and while we are in this space of not having a clear set of shared stories, and I, and I do love that um, a favorite psychologist from Brooklyn mentioned, you know, Karen, what's important is that our stories not be literal and our stories don't have to be completely shared across all cultures, that we need many, many stories um, for children to tap into and for families to pull um, into their worlds for each, for whatever issues um, they, are, they, they are facing on any given day. But, but, but I also want you to go with a fearlessness because we are talking about stepping over into the dark side of childhood. Um, you know, if there's Harry Potter for the elementary age, what are those, what are those themes that resonate for the preschool age and maybe the toddler age? Um, big themes, big value choices. Um, and, and so, in addition to the books and the stories that we are telling, I want you to think about 
some time in your day and and maybe it's bedtime but lately i've also started to think if parents are have a half an hour car ride home from school or on their way to work or school during the mornings that those become our storytelling connecting narrative making times um so and and they can be about animals they can be about bugs they can be about stars they can be about toys coming to life after dark there we we have a rich tradition around us but we need to tap into our imagination our suspension of belief as grown-ups so that we can use those stories because if we don't believe in the magic children won't believe in the magic and i think that that in this world that feels a little bit harsh and and full of anxiety and maybe anger and fear um i think my question is what are the stories that fill you up that fill your bucket that that you can tell your child with integrity with a little bit of honesty and and i mean like storytelling honesty um that 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 thing that just says yeah this feels right to me not that it's literally true and then i want you to think about um how do you retell the stories from your own family um what happened today what was easy today what was hard today did mommy or daddy act like a crazy person um or did did we act like the wise owl were we calm like a um i don't know what what what's a calm a dolphin or or were we um slow like a snail i mean what are the images that that we can make concrete for our children to help them understand who we are what we believe in because all of this has to do not with literal beliefs but with that magical belief that connects us to some meaning that is bigger than the moment and that is a meaning that is steering us and your children into unknown futures um maybe it's nature i think is so full and ripe with this it could be stories about rivers and trees about winds that are scary nature holds it it could be about magic rocks and seashells i don't know but i want you to explore this with me and um if you're listening to this podcast um i would love to hear what your response to this podcast is so um i have a little bit of a just just a framework of how i believe that young children interact as toddlers as 3-year-olds as pre-k children and as early elementary age i think as toddlers and 2s you want your children after 18 months to hear stories of naughtiness to hear stories of animals or creatures or characters that are doing the things that parents and teachers don't approve of um that are pushing the envelope because this is children learning how to become mistake makers and and self-manage their behavior and their emotions so all those emotion books become really really rich um, but so do the no david books so do the how do the dinosaurs say good night eat their food um and and then there's all those scholastic books you know we just had that scholastic book fair but everything that is about characters going through a genuine struggle and coming out on the other side please bring those books into your uh, world 
At three, I do believe that the books get a little bit more intense and way more powerful. Uh, one, of the, one of the statements you always hear me say, as, as I learned it decades ago from educators in California was, why do three-year-olds love dinosaurs? Because they are big and powerful. And so your children need books at three that are about animals and characters that are big and powerful, that roar, that stomp, um, and that, that get a little bit scary because they, they feel the smallness of themselves and they also need to experiment with how much bigness feels right for me as a small person. Again, these are stories about the inner workings of your child's self, about their emotions and their personality, and then ultimately behavior. Again, we are connecting heart, mind, body, and soul. And then I think when you get to the pre-K and to kindergartners, I think you can go to something that's closer to the old fairy tales. Um, and those fairy tales were scary, um, but they were also oral tradition. Those were not Disney visual images. And there's something else that I think that is essential about this Inuit parenting experience. And that is these are oral cultures. These are cultures where imagination and mental images of stories are self-defined and self-determined versus something seen on a screen. Screens tell children what to see, think, and feel. I want this to be more narrative and storytelling driven, and books, I think, are somewhere in between. So back to pre-K, I want you please. Um, and, and we can have these conversations about how much is too much or what works or doesn't work for your child. But I want you to tiptoe to the edge of darkness because pre-K children are asking the big questions of life and yes, of death. And will they be safe forever and ever? And um, is this world a fair world? Um, how to be brave, how to make choices through fear, how to conquer things that are unknown. Pre-K kids and kindergartners are living big lives, and so they need big stories to help them feel safe um, with fear and with risk. Um, but I do believe the value of the old fairy tales was that good wins over evil, um, Again, how we play this out in our modern world is different um, than maybe old storytelling because in the old stories, evil was punished. And we're not a punishment generation, so I don't know what the new forms of that will be, um, though I do know some fabulous story makers and creative people out there who are trying to answer these questions right here, right now. So um, maybe we'll get them on the podcast in the weeks ahead. So pre-K and kindergartners, I want you to go big. I want you to go deep. Um, and then again, from 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 that middle age of pre-K and kindergarten to the Harry Potter years um, is, is, is just that connecting the dots to rich, rich, rich storytelling. So in my wrap up, because I don't have all the literary answers for you here today, I want you to start 
in a very simple way. I mean, I don't want to leave you empty handed only with questions from today's podcast. So what I want to leave you with is, is a way that I think will get you to begin to think about your family stories. And that is something that I used to use in old workshops about a family mission statement. And that is that I believe that your children need to know um, what your family identity is. Who are you as a family? And, and you know, you see all those things on Pinterest. If you just Google Pinterest family mission statements, I mean, you'll see those staircases, those wall um, phrases, all kinds of inspiring things that say who you are as a family. But you know, it can't be one generic family that fits all of us. Each family is different. So how do you finish that statement? We are. We are the silly family. We are the crazy family. We are the thoughtful family. We are the kind and giving family. Truly, truly, who are you? And again, mom and dad, brothers and sisters, aunts, grandparents, extended families and friends, all of the people that are in your family bring different influences. And you know those are influences of choice that you are making to, to surround your children with. So what I ask you is to look around and put into words for your child the values and the connections that truly matter for you. And, and how do you connect with one another and with others? What do you love to do? Do you love to be out in nature? Do you love to cook together? Do you love to um, watch movies together? Do you love to um, share your work experiences with your children? Do you love to share a sense of people all around the world? Do you make quilts? Do you write books? Do you make money by helping people who struggle? What are the answers to who you are and how you connect to others? And then what do you want to share with others? What do you as a family want to do to give back to the world, to be a, to be a force of good in the world? Those are the values that you are teaching your child. And finally, what is the glue that holds you together? When you are feeling overwhelmed, fearful, frustrated, frustrated, overwhelmed, anxious, in a crazy, rushed, nonstop world out there, where do you find your peace? Where do you find your connection? Now, those are the things that I want you to put up on your walls, on your bathroom mirrors, on your hand, um, in your intentions for the day. How will you connect and hold each other through the struggles that are age appropriate and guaranteed to happen in the messiness of life and the messiness of children from the age of toddlers. I mean, babies, we protect, we insulate, we, we nurture, we anticipate every struggle, um, mostly. Um, yes, they have to call us when they're hungry and cry when they want to be picked up, but we are very responsive. But from the time that you get to have a toddler, 
They want contradictory things. And no matter what you do, you can't make them happy all the time. And so they struggle and they struggle trying to figure out who they are in the world. So not only are you filling in the gap of who is your child, but who are you as a family? Anyways, those are the questions I love thinking about. Those are the questions I'm leaving you with today. Um, but I love them and I think that they are the, 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 the questions that you will answer individually, but, but by sharing them in conversations within your families and with me and with others and in your classrooms. So how are we bringing meaning, purpose, joy, and connection to our world? Thank you for letting me go on about this. It's something I'm trying to figure out the pieces of. Um, I hope my daily and weekly work reflects this. I hope our Ahava Shabbat reflects this. I hope everything in our communities and our classrooms reflect this. You you don't um, have to do this alone. Um, You've got this and we've got you. And thank you very, very much. Have a great week and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. So that's the mess for today. We appreciate you listening to See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. Seeing little people learn and grow. Listening to parents taking a crazy, uncertain journey. Loving the fun and loving the mistakes. You write the rules. You write your story. We just want to be part of the conversation. But in the end, we know you got this. We'll catch you next week. Take care. Wait, wait, wait. One more thing. If you liked our podcast, please tell a friend. Or even better, write us a review at iTunes. We'd also like to invite you to join us on Facebook. That's with me, Karen Deerwester. And check out the parenting resources at FamilyTimeInc.com. You'll also find us on Twitter at at FamilyTimeInc and Instagram at Karen underscore FamilyTime. Thanks for listening today. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this wonderful space. Thanks to Darren Littman for the great intro. And thanks to the front and the follow for the song Listen. We are listening. See you next week.